This morning we're going to a buffet, a spiritual buffet, and we won't have time to get into everything. Let me give you a little tip. Rick Hill's um, household hints for managing a buffet. If I could give you a hint of advice, it's good to sort of survey what's out there and make strategic use of the place on your plate, okay? Um, oh yeah, and always eat your vegetables first. That's what I want my children. But think about that. This morning, that's what we're going to do because we are going to dive into the book of Ephesians. Now, one of the best preachers in the 20th century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, literally took years to preach through the book of Ephesians. I'm not going to do that. Um, not because it's not worth doing, I just, we won't all make it through. But um, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians and, and starting it, and, and here's why. We're going to be looking at how to build a, a community of grace. Last fall, we studied the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We went through the book of John and saw all the things that um, confirmed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God, and it's the only way to reconcile us with our Creator. Now we're going to look at the implications of what that looks like for all of us together, for what it looks for us to be a family of God, a community of grace, because God does not just save one person here, one person there. We are, whether you like it or not, we're all related. Now, you can choose your friends, but you cannot choose your relatives, right? So have a good look around. Here's your family. Now, don't try to point out the crazy uncle or unusual aunt or eccentric cousins. We're all related, okay? We're all family. These are your relatives. Because God has allowed us to be adopted into his family. In fact, we did not choose him. People say, oh, I made a decision to follow Jesus, or I decided to become a Christian. That's kind of right, but it's more accurately to say, God chose us. So this morning, I want you to keep that theme, that idea of adoption in the back of your mind. And before we go any further, um, I am going to welcome you to the family, and I'm going to ask uh, Carrie Hackman to come up here, please. Carrie and Mark have a son, Lucas. Do you guys know Lucas? Anybody here know Lucas? He's a cute kid. And uh, I got an autographed uh, Christmas card from Lucas this summer. We did, Van and I, this, this Christmas. And uh, it's up in my bulletin board. It's so great. There's Carrie and Mark Edelton and then the scrawls. Like, I recognize Lucas's handwriting. It's brilliant. Um, but I've asked Carrie up here just to, to share the story of how Lucas became a part of their family. So, Sherry, what, tell us about the circumstances behind Lucas becoming part of your family. Um, well, we, Mark and I, always talked about having a family, and we knew that that was part of what we wanted. So, um, we were not able to have a family naturally, so the next step was adoption, and that was, it wasn't a hard decision, it was more of, okay, what do we do next? And then we reached out to a couple of different agencies and connected with adoption options, and a seven and a half year journey later, <laughs> um, 
lots of paperwork and lots of um, prayers and soul searching. <laughs> Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years from the date that we started the wow. process. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I won't ask you how much money, but I'm sure it was a lot. Yeah. And there was a lot of support from our church. So. Yeah. Great. So, how did it? How did it come that you you chose Lucas to be in your family? Um, well, we had joined the China program through our adoption agency, and part of the reason we joined the China program was because we thought it was going to be a faster process after waiting for so long, but it turned out not to be. Um, but after I think we were in that program for five years, we got an email from our social worker that they had a file that um, an agency in China had matched to us. So um, we got this picture of this Shut up, little boy. <laughs> and um, three months later, we were on a plane to China. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, is there anything kind of that, this might sound like a, a dumb question, but is there anything Lucas did to make you want to pick him out or just? No, we knew nothing about him prior. Right. Um, we, he was chosen for us. Yeah. Um, and it actually wasn't the agency that chose him. Yeah, yeah. It was God. I, I know. <laughs> you know the answer to that, but I want them to know yeah. that. No, we <laughs> totally, totally yeah. believe that. Um, yeah. He's been such a natural fit for our family. Right. It got me what he was, got me what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, he, absolutely. And I really appreciate you preaching the sermon. Because <laughs> people, will, people will remember what you say. Me, they kind of tune out. That's perfect. <laughs> Carrie, how has life changed now that you have Lucas in your family? How is life different from before to now? Um, no day is the same. <laughs> no, um, we didn't know that we could love someone as much as we do. That's great. Um, like, I was kind of concerned about that through the whole process. Like, will I be able to love this child because he's not mine biologically? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's great. What, one last question. What has this whole process taught you about God? To trust His time and to trust His Word and to yeah. trust that, um, and patience. Yeah. Um, knowing that He knows your heart's desire. Yeah. And if it's His will, it'll happen. It blesses me so much. I see Mark um, in my neighborhood sometimes. I see Mark walking Lucas home from school, and it's just one of those, uh, you know, yeah, God in the moments. Do you mind if we pray for you? Ben? Sorry, you're going to say something. No, I was just going to say that I just wanted to share that the first day that we met Lucas, um, we weren't sure what to expect. We were preparing for the worst. We were preparing for the screaming child that wanted nothing to do with us, and he hopped up on Mark's lap <laughs> and just said, for it. Okay, let's, let's pray. Blessing. Father, I pray that you bless Carrie and Mark and Lucas. Bless their family. Thank you for the encouragement that they are to us, the ministry that they have. Uh, I just pray that you continue to bless them and thank you for this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.
Gary, you said that, um, as we were emailing, you said that you might get emotional telling this story. And you know what? It hit me like a ton of bricks. God gets emotional when he talks about adopting us. So thank you for being emotional. I appreciate that. And uh, I might need some Kleenex. <laughs> I might need some Kleenex too. Okay. There's Kleenex in the pews. That's good reason for that. Because uh, God, in his kindness, has adopted us into his family. Now, we're going to look at the passage that Melissa read, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. I have to let you in on a secret, a good secret, um, that would really cause my grade 5 English teacher a lot of concern. Mr. Hosfeld, Mr. Hosfeld, and I talk like that. But he really taught us a lot about English grammar. That's what I learned. Like we learned what a, a, a principal clause and a subordinate clause, and I could still hear him reciting uh, poetry and prancing across the, I can't get those images out of my mind, prancing across the front of the classroom. But he was a stickler for English grammar. Now, looking at this passage that we're going to read, he would have some kind of a, conniption fit or whatever because all those sentences, all, sorry, all those words that uh, Mel read to us this morning, verses 3 to 14 in Greek, in the original language there aren't any periods. It's one whole sentence. It's crazy. Anybody here like jazz music? Okay, good. Amen. Um, jazz music it has got kind of a basic, you know, kind of melody, but then Jazz, a good jazz musician has enough uh, competence at kind of playing the music, but then there's the freedom to do all kinds of riffs, and you know they just kind of take off all over the place, right? That's a little bit what Paul did in writing this part of Ephesians. There's all kinds of riffs, and it's not super linear. Like he covers, he does some really important comment. Uh, content here, and that's why in English they put it into sentences for the rest of us who are trying to go, Paul, oh, where are you going? But he got so excited talking about the grace of God. Imagine that as we read this, he's, he's going off in all kinds of directions. Oh, there's this, and there's that, and there's this. All the benefits and blessings of being in God's family. That's kind of where he's going. Now, in their wisdom, and I think it was wise, the English translator said, well, this could be a little problematic. Let's break it down into sentences so that the readers will grab something. And they did. But that doesn't take away from the beauty and the passion that is found in these verses. And as I was saying, we're talking about going to a buffet, the buffet we're going to go to. I'm just going to point out some highlights. You can go back and graze more at your leisure as you get in and unpack all these verses. I'll let you do it at home in the safety of your own home. You can digest Ephesians chapter 1. But this morning, we're just going to cover some of the highlights. Spouses, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. How? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, just a moment. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Some people would take this to mean, and some preachers preach this on TV, 
God wants to make you rich materially. He wants to give you that fancy house and that shiny new car. And if you're not being blessed materially, materially, you're doing something wrong. That is a pile of garbage, to use polite terms. The Bible does not teach that. There's no guarantee that following Jesus will have a positive increase on our bank account. It might. It might. As he takes us away from dependency uh, on unhealthy things and moves us towards depend, um, a healthy independence and we learn how to make a living and provide and live, live wisely. Yeah, generally, people like that generally do better than people who throw away their lives in foolish, self-destructive behavior. But... There is no guarantee that becoming a Christian is going to make you financially better off. It's not about that kind of material blessing. But he says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that means that, well, just, just keep that in the back of your mind. Let's look at what some of these blessings are. Because even before he made the world, God loved us, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Does this remind you of John chapter 1? Before the beginning began, the word was already there. Remember John 1, 1? God was already there. Before the world was made, before creation even gets started, whether it took a short time or billions of years, frankly, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't keep me up awake at, keep me up awake at night at all how God made the world, but the fact that he made it, even before he started, he loved us and chose us in Christ. You know that expression that uh, is used of uh, someone before they're born, before you read even a twinkle in your parent's eye, right? Even before conception, even before the world was conceived, we were a twinkle in God's eye. Now that may blow your minds, but I don't write this stuff. I don't make it up. It's in the Bible. So it's true. God loved us and chose us in Christ, even before he made the world. To be what? To be holy and without fault in his eyes. And we were talking about being made holy. That means being different from the rest of society, set apart and blameless. That means... That means that God does not take us out of the world. He doesn't say, go live on top of the mountain and don't let anybody else pollute you with uh, influences from society. He makes us different within the world. And in fact, if enough Christians chose to live holy lives, we could, we could revolutionize Canada. Do you hear what I said? If enough Christians chose to live holy lives, we could revolutionize Canada. A life lived by God's priorities, God's attitudes, and not our own desires. Right? All of a sudden, we'd be working for God, not for our employer. I'm developing some relationships with the bus drivers who drive the 21 route, and I ran and bumped into another guy today, uh, this week, who I know loves Jesus and serves Jesus. A, by driving a bus and doing it well and looking after people. I know that he, he gets his check from the city of Winnipeg, but I know his employer is God to talking to him because he's doing other things for God as well. But I know that guy is serving God through his job. 
That's what God calls us to do, to serve God through our work, through our school, in our neighborhoods. We're working for somebody else, not just the people who write our paychecks. And if people had that kind of attitude, we could revolutionize Canada. That means if you own a business, you take care of your employees within God's will and standards, not to rip them off or extort them, but to serve them and help them prosper, and that helps your business prosper as well. If we live holy lives, we will not use people and love money. We will love people and use money instead. So he's called us to be holy and blameless. And blameless means being offering our best to God and serving Him. That's what God's called us for. But think about all the things that He's blessed us with. He's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings. He loved us and chose us. Why did He choose us? Because we were cute. Now, you're all cute. Sure. Okay, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But God just chose us because He loves us. That's the way He does things. He loved us and chose us, and chose us, and He decided in advance to adopt us into His own family. Isn't that beautiful? I love the story that Carrie tells of, you know, the, the oh, what a long process—seven and a half years—to have Lucas arrive in their family. I had a, a ministry colleague of mine uh, a couple of decades ago talk about the process of adopting a couple of boys from Kazakhstan and his family. It was fascinating and very expensive. They ended up, they had inherited a, a family cottage that Luann and I had actually rented a couple of summers and used. They sold their cottage, used that money, said, okay, we want to have a family as well. They invest a lot of time and money into having these children come and join them. Well, what really struck me, though, was that this guy was always kind of a hard-nosed, business-type guy. He talked about anticipating these kids being part of his family, and he started getting teary. I mean, tough Canadian men don't cry at the drop of a hat, but this guy did. And that's what left a lasting impression on me was how he felt about the whole process. And it gave me another glimpse of God's heart when he sees us and he chooses us and he loves us and he makes it possible for us to be a part of his family. So God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. How did he do that? What was the agency? God brought us to himself. Let's see if my pointer works here. Whoops, I didn't mean to do that. Wow, that's not working. That's not working either. Okay, forget I did that. Um, he brought us to himself, how? Through Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus was the, the avenue that it sounds a little coarse, but the delivery system, the process, the person by whom we're introduced to God the Father, right? If you have someone that you want to meet and you don't have a connection, you need someone to introduce you. Well, Jesus was the way that we could have that connection be reconciled to God the Father. This is what God wanted to do all along. And the next line says, it really caused him a lot of grief. Now, what does it say? 
What does that next line say? Are you serious? It gave him great pleasure. It gave God great pleasure to have us adopted into his family. What's with that? Before the world was ever formed, he was thinking, yeah, I want Daphne in my family. That's the plan. Daphne hasn't been born yet, and her parents and grandparents haven't been born yet, but I want Daphne in my family. That was his plan. Good plan, eh, Daphne? Right on. I mean, praise God. We can't, we can't make this stuff up. We can't arrange it. God just did it. So praise God for his glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Now, I love this word poured out, lavished, in other translations. Sometimes we approach God as if he's only got a little bit of grace. And it's kind of like we turn into what I call brill cream Christians. Remember brill cream? My dad used to paste that stuff on his hair and mine. It was just awful. But the slogan behind grill cream was a little dab will do you. That's because it was like axle grease and went all over your head. A little dab, don't know. Two dabs is too much. That's what it means. But we have this idea of being grill cream Christians where all just a little dab will do you. That's, that's enough. Man. God's grace is lavished all over us. Now, I, I respect Christian churches that when they baptize people, they, they sprinkle people. There's a, there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of practical advantages to that because you don't need to dry your hair and appear get all wet in public and stuff like that. But I really think my preference is doing it the way we do it over here in the tank and get people all wet. And we always bring them back out of the water, right? Just to celebrate God's lavishness, like His grace is poured out all over us. In fact, we're submerged in His love and brought up. It's like God wants to pour out His grace on us who belong to His dear Son. That's how God feels about us. Is this doing anything to you? Is this stirring anything in your heart today? Have you got some kind of a spiritual pulse today? I'm not trying to whip you up into some kind of emotional frenzy. But rather than go through this dry, systematic look at this beautiful piece of scripture and pick this, that, and the other thing out of it, I want you to get caught up in this symphony, this beautiful jazz improvisation, this song to God's grace. Because the man who wrote it was sitting on top of a beautiful mountain overviewing, no, he wasn't. He was chained up in a Roman prison, anticipating his execution. So you can't attribute the beautiful words to the author's circumstances, because he was on death row. And as he was sitting in death row, he was thinking about all the little churches he had started all over the Mediterranean. He's thinking, this is what I want you guys to get. God has adopted us into his family. He loves us. He wants to form us into a community of grace. Take all these different parts, put them together, and just be a tribute to God's love that started before the world was ever created. So that's why he's talking about, we praise God because of this grace that has been poured out on us.
In fact, this, this lavish language continues. It's a bit like we had some friends who invited us to Christmas dinner a few years ago because we didn't have immediate family to celebrate with. And they had this secret, they said, they made us hold back on the turkey and dressing and all the good stuff because we had this amazing dessert coming up. And that's all we heard about was this amazing dessert. And they brought us some kind of pudding with this rich, extremely high caloric sauce that we just kind of, it was almost like a diabetic coma just looking at this thing. It was so rich and sweet and really good, but you could only eat it once a year or else you die prematurely. And they would just, they wouldn't just take an eyedropper and put a little drop for you. They would just pour it. And that's what I think about when I think of this now. I, my, it's doing something to my pancreas, even thinking about it now. But, but that's the idea that Paul's trying to get across. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. God isn't stingy. He doesn't hold grudges. He's not like, we, you may have some people in your life that if they do something kind for you, you know there's going to be payback. If they, actually, if they do something not so kind, if they do something for you, you know that you're going to hear about it down the line. There's strings attached to their gift, right? Well, you know, I did this for you, and now it's time to blah, blah, blah. And they start dropping those hands. God is nothing like that. God is all about unconditional love, which is so rare on planet Earth, we don't know what that looks like. Hard for us to know what that looks like. Like we, we haven't experienced very much of that. But God's love is without any strings attached because he purchased our freedom. The language here is buying someone out of slavery, redeeming them with the blood of his son, and then he forgave our sins. God did not adopt us as cute little orphans in a display somewhere that you can just kind of pick and choose. God did not adopt us because we were cute. God adopted us and reconciled us when we were still rebels and giving God all kinds of inappropriate hand signals saying, I'm going to run my own life. I don't need you. Get lost. And yet, God makes it possible for us to be adopted into his family as dearly loved children. What's with that? What is with that? He showered his kindness on us, pouring it on, along with all wisdom and understanding. And this wisdom and understanding that they're talking about, and the first word, wisdom, is, is uh, the Greek word is Sophia. We have a Sophia here in our church. Did you know that? It's, it's all about wisdom and understanding the origin of all things and what's really important it's spiritual insight and understanding is that kind of practical knowledge of how to make life work making good decisions and it, it's sort of a combination that he showered his kindness with both of these things wisdom and understanding so that we understand where we've come from why we're here and where we're going as well as how do we make good decisions from here on in so he's given us all these things. And now, how many people here watch reality shows? Okay. Okay. 
That's all right. It's a confessional time. We can do this in the dark if we want. Typically, in a reality show at the end, especially if they're doing a home reno or something like that, it's amazing how much work they can get done in half an hour or an hour. It would take me years. Uh, but anyway, uh, at the end of the review, the big runner, we've changed your house, you have a new toilet. It's like, OMG, a new toilet, oh, my life has changed, you know, that kind of thing. Then they call it the, the, the reveal, the big reveal. Well, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Now, when we talk about mysterious, this is not a Sherlock Holmes type detective mystery where you're trying to figure out what is God up to. It's more like something that's been hidden and really special. It's more like the unveiling, okay? Here's my work of art, and all of a sudden, ta-da! That's what is happening here in this passage. This is the ta-da, the big reveal. What's the plan? I'm glad you asked. This is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That means that history's got a purpose, it's got a direction. History, human history, is not a random collection of events where stuff just happens and the strong dominate the weak and we all have to climb to the top of some imaginary ladder to, to make our life worthwhile. History has a purpose and a direction. And history is pointing to Jesus being in charge of everything. This week I had an astonishing conversation that started out with the topic of canoes, and it went to the, it ended up with the ultimate authority of Jesus. I'll give you a quick synopsis. I was calling um, Graham, who works at uh, Pioneer Camp, and trying to get Graham, Pioneer Camp connected to Shoal Lake Band 40 because they need some canoes for some, um, out-tripping education they're going to be doing and just trying to get them together and network and be good neighbors. And I got talking with Graham about indigenous, indigenous practices and, and how, how do we pray, what's appropriate to take on, or do we, you know, is it, what about smudging, what about sweats, all these things. And I said, Graham, you know, I, I want to respect people's culture, but I don't want to uh, do anything that would violate what Jesus wants. And Graham says, yeah, that's a good point. But then he bursts up with a statement. Well, you know, everything we do is ultimately under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Graham's the camp administrator. Ten years ago, I saw this guy as a counselor at camp and thinking, what are you doing working at camp? Do you even follow Jesus? Because he was really kind of... He's a nice guy. and just had a lot of questions about was he qualified to do that. All of a sudden, he bursts out with this... The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be over everything, so we'll sort that out. It's like, okay, Graham, whatever you're saying. You know, everything's going to end up under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I agree. And that's what Paul is saying here. At the end of history, the ultimate culmination of human history, everything, God is going to bring everything under the authority of Jesus. Whether people do it voluntarily or involuntarily, that's how history is going to end. And furthermore, because we're united with Jesus, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. And this inheritance is not just eternal life, 
A lot of people become Christians because it's technically kind of fire insurance, is what they, they joke about saying. So, well, they don't want to go to hell. Well, that's a good reason to follow Jesus, but there's much more to it than that. You can have life the way God intended it for you. And you can have a relationship with God that changes you here and now and, and just transforms you. It's not just about pie in the sky, by and by, when you die. By going on and talking more about this plan, Paul says it started out with the Jews. He, he forms the people with the Jews, reveals his truth to them, then it expands to the Gentiles. And then he, he gives us this promise, this down payment. He talks about our inheritance. Now, when you're waiting for an inheritance, sometimes you have to wait a long time. You don't, hopefully, you don't want your parents to die so you get your inheritance. You want to enjoy their presence here on earth. But you know sooner or later you're, you're going to get it. But God has given us a promise of, his, of this inheritance that he's talking about. And the word in Greek is it's kind of like a down payment. He's given us a down payment, a guarantee that he's going to follow through. And in fact, the word that's used in Greek back then is actually used in Greek now for an engagement ring. Generally, when, when a man or a woman in Canadian culture, will you marry me? Generally, at some time in the process, there is a ring. Generally, that's kind of the process, right? Whether you have it there on the spot or not, it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to marry you. If you'll say yes, you know, here's the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee, his down payment, that he's going to follow through and give us all of what he's promised, and that he's purchased us to be his own people. So when you sense the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. If you have that sense of God's presence, if you sensed God's presence stirring you at all today, during the story or songs or hearing the Bible read, anything going on, that's the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart saying, hey, there's more to come. And in fact, the best is yet to come. And that's God's way of reminding us, of sealing us, saying, you are mine, no one's going to steal you out of my hand. I have blessed you so much. I chose you before the world was even created. I want you. I love you so much. That's why he's adopted us into his family. Now, when we think about it, if we go home and chew on some of these truths, and think, how do I appropriate this truth into my life? How does it affect the way I live? It can be life-changing. It can be transforming. And that's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help these spiritual truths sink into our spirits today. I know this can sound really theoretical and really abstract, but Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit will reveal to our spirits that spirit of adoption that causes us to cry out, Papa, and receive you as our Papa. Father, if there's anyone searching or struggling here today, I pray that you would give them hope 
and encouragement to keep on pressing into you. And Lord, you know we need grace. Thank you for showering on us. And I pray that you'd help us to continue to experience it. Will you help us to become the community of grace that you've always intended us to be? In Jesus' name.